Now, as I dig into the scriptures, I want to make sure you hear this. This is not a message of rebuke in any way, shape, or form. Actually, when I think about Anthem Church in Thousand Oaks, I love this place, and I feel like God is using us in powerful ways. I get excited about this church. There are always areas of growth. 100%, I fully believe that. Are any of you finished growing in your relationship with Christ? Raise ye hand if you believe that to be true. Okay, none of us are there. I also believe that about local churches. I think every church at some point needs course correction. Look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3, those letters that Jesus wrote. Even in the first century, the first earliest churches needed course correction. They needed help from Jesus reorienting themselves around the mission of God. And I believe that to be true about us and every other local church, that we're always in need of the Spirit's guidance to find home. So this is not a message of rebuke, but rather pressing into the things that we see God doing and saying, we want more. So the church in Thessalonica was a church that Paul cared deeply for. He didn't get as much time there as he wanted. He spent time uh, in apostolic ministry. We talked about that a bit last week. He was laying foundations. He was preaching the gospel. He was helping this church get started. He spent a little bit of time in Thessalonica, and then persecution rose up, and they drove Paul and his, uh, his friends out of the city, and they separated Paul from the church. So Paul was gone. He was off in another region, continued on in his, in his work uh, apostling or laying foundations, planting churches, preaching the gospel. He continued on that work, and he used technology to get back into the church. That was papyrus that he would write on and send these notes back to the church so that he could continue his apostolic ministry from a distance. So Paul actually wrote this letter to continue the foundation laying that he had done when he was in Thessalonica And he was barred from that place. He was not able to come back in. And so he uses this technology to keep ministering to the church. So it's a pretty profound thing. And what you'll see from chapter 1 is that Paul's pretty impressed with where this church is at. He's very excited about the state of the church. And he's going to point out a couple of different things about it that we want to glean from and learn from. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. We're going to read the scriptures together. If you need a Bible, they're in the aisles. Just elbow somebody and they'll pass one over to you. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Okay, it says this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, Lord, give us great insight to see 
your scriptures, to hear what they have to say, to know how we can implement these things in our lives. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right, so Paul points out three things that I, that I can see from this passage. This is not an exhaustive list of what it looks like to be a healthy church, but three things that we can glean about what life as a healthy church would look like. The first thing is Paul points out the diligence of the Thessalonian church. The second thing is he points out the spirit-filled nature of the Thessalonian church. And the third thing is he points out their faithfulness or their full of faithness. We'll talk about that quite a bit. All right, so diligence, spirit-filled, full of faith. First, let's start with diligence. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad, uh, I had a great dad. I love my dad. He worked hard to cultivate things in me. Uh, I still remember probably 12, 13, 14 years old, my dad took me to Denny's. And uh, he, he sat me down and said, what do you want for breakfast? And I said, well, I think I want pancakes. He said, okay, when the waitress comes over, you're going to look her in the eye and you're going to tell her you would like pancakes. And I was like, dad. I don't want to talk to her. Just tell her I want pancakes. And he's like, look, when she comes over, I want your order to be memorized, every aspect of it. I want you to look her in the eye, and I want you to say it clearly and loud enough that she can hear it, and I want you to ask her for the pancakes. I'm like, Dad. He's like, here she comes. <laughs> okay. So she comes over. I look her in the eye. I'm like, can I have the pancakes? I'm sure that's how it went. Um, but it was, you know, my dad loved to just teach things like that. And one of the things that he was so insistent on teaching me was diligence, hard work. What kind of work do you put in when there's nobody there to tell you the next thing to do, the next moment to do it, and that you have the inner engine to keep going, to keep working hard, to stay focused? And that diligence is something that Honestly, we're kind of trained as young people to grow up always having a teacher, always having a principal, always having a parent, always having somebody that's just kind of putting it out there in front of us. Here's the next thing to do. Here's the next thing to do. And you can kind of just do it. And one of the big things about growing up is being able to take that and internalize it and say, okay, it's time for me to actually know what to do, how to do it, and to have the inner fortitude to get it done. And Paul looks at this church and he identifies three things about them. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Two groupings of words and we'll look at each. The first one, work, labor, steadfastness. Work, labor, steadfastness. And then he talks about faith, hope, and love. We'll talk about those also. But he starts off by talking to the Thessalonian church about their work. You guys are working. You're, you took the gospel and realized that when you received it, there was something to be done with that. That there was a job to do and you took it on. And without me there, you started working in your faith to cultivate the gospel in that community. And he talks about this and says, that's beautiful. I thank God for your work of faith. And you realize that there was something to do with the gospel, and you started doing that thing. He talks about their labor of love. What, what comes to mind when you think of labor, right? I mean, I, the first thought is Zoolander with the pickaxe, just, you know, trying to do the coal mine. That idea of hard work, getting to work, doing something physical with your hands, that's labor. And Paul talks about it, and he says, I thank God for your labor of love. You got to work in love. 
without me there. We were gone. And you picked up the responsibility and you were diligent with it. And then he talks about their steadfastness of hope. And that idea of steadfastness has to do with the continuation beyond. The endurance, the perseverance, the, the carrying that character for an extended period of time. That's the idea of steadfastness. So Paul's looking at this church and he's saying, there's something inside of you. And I thank my God for that. That it produced this work of faith, this labor of love, this steadfastness of hope. So what do we glean from that as a church? I look at this church and I do see a significant ministry passion that exists here. Part of the ethos of our church is that we actually don't run a lot of things centrally. We don't uh, collect every ministry and make it run through Anthem Church proper. It kind of goes into all that stuff I just shared with you about membership, but rather we have ministry-oriented people that are doing great things out in the world, and that's a, a great love of ours, that that's part of our church. And one of the things that we would learn from Paul describing a healthy church as diligent is that we need to press into that still more. What is the work of faith that God has put in you? As you've received the gospel and he's started to brew something in you for how you can impact the world with the gospel, what is that work of faith that you would carry out into the world and do, and do you need somebody to stand over your shoulder and say, okay, here's the next thing to do, and here's the next thing to do, and here's the next thing to do, or is it possible for you to step into what God has given you to do today? Now, this work of faith, and that's the idea of a work of faith, is that we would step out. We'll talk about this more when we get to the full of faith or faithful at the end, this idea of stepping out into places where we need God to be on full display or we will fall flat on our face. A work of faith. Paul talks about a labor of love. When we look at our community, one of the great ministries that exists here in the church is people in the foster care system that love kids well to, uh, to adopt them or to foster them, bring them into their homes. We have people that rally around them, that bring support structures to those households, that help with diapers, that help with rides, that help with respite care, that do that kind of work and ministry. We have people that are out there that are supporting the foster care system. We have people that don't view the homeless in our community as a nuisance, but want to love them, want to see them for who they are and give them dignity and, and walk with them into sobriety and help and passion. And we see that. Uh, we have Janet sitting right here. Janet has a deep heart for those in human trafficking and has spent, I know it's been a couple years making this film, but it's really been probably an eight to 10 year journey of watching a film come to life that puts the spotlight on human trafficking and wants to help equip. She's going city to city around the country, rallying organizations to work together to end human trafficking and using this film as a catalyst. That is a labor of love. Those kinds of things, when they happen, are the kind of things that show the diligence. Who told you to do that? Other than God, come on. I mean, I know Doug wasn't over your shoulder like, come on, keep it together. you got something to say, don't you? John Franklin hosted a prayer meeting for foster families when he started out as a foster 
John Franklin, one of our original members of the church, hosted a meeting for foster care, and that sparked something in you that went on for a long, long time. Yeah. That's a labor of love. And the steadfastness of hope as a church is that we are diligent, that we don't give up, and we keep going out into the community. And I've seen this happening in our church, and the call of Paul to the Thessalonians is more. More. Let's do more. Okay, the second thing Paul talks about is being spirit-filled. Okay, so he says this. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So Paul says, we showed up and we preached, and it wasn't just the word of God, though that is powerful and sufficient for salvation, but the word of God came with power, with power and with full conviction of the Holy Spirit. Something supernatural happened when we preached the gospel. It was dynamic and significant and brought conviction, and the Spirit moved in that place. So Paul's describing how they received the gospel. I don't know if you were here when my dad told the story. He was in Liberia. He was preaching to pastors. And many of these pastors uh, that were there, as, he was, as my dad was teaching something totally different, I think he was doing hermeneutics or how to study the Bible, he felt that there was a spirit of anger and abuse in the room, and he identified it. He named it. And one by one, these pastors stood up and confessed to abusing their wives and abusing their children. They repented on the spot. They were weeping. They were going to their wives. Their wives were in the room. They were going to their wives in the meeting while my dad stopped teaching and were confessing to their wives their sin of abuse. That's the word of God coming in power where something shakes and does something significant to remind you that this is more than just a spoken word, that the spirit of God inhabits these words. He shakes things loose. Paul says something about the Thessalonian church. He goes on to say this. He says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Paul's affirming this church because they didn't look at Paul bringing the word with the Spirit and say that the Spirit is just for the apostolic guy. The power of the Spirit is just in that leader guy that taught us all these things. They didn't look at him and say, that's where the Spirit ends. They said, if Paul can bring the word with power in the Holy Spirit, so can we. They looked at Paul and said, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then that's what we're going to do. And they embraced the power of the Holy Spirit, and they started to walk in that. And Paul looks at that and says, you became imitators of us. You became a spirit-filled church. Again, I would look at our church and I'd say, we have stepped into the power of the Holy Spirit as a church. We've been walking for a dozen years together, almost 13 years together, and we've seen incredible moments of power where the Spirit of God has moved in this place. Is anybody done with the Spirit? Kind of over it, ready to move on? No. More. We're here for more of what God has for us, not less. We want to increase what God wants to do and say through us as a church, 
not shrink back. We want to go forward and say, okay, what does it look like for God to move in power and bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit in increasing measure to and through this church? So we open our hands up and we say, Lord, we've seen you move. We've seen you move here. We've seen you move in other places. And we want to ready ourselves. Now, here's the thing. I believe that you can't have a spirit-filled church without spirit-filled people because the church does not exist. The people are the church. They are the body of Christ. It is the assembled people of God. That's the ecclesia. That is what it means to be the church is to bring the people of God together. So we can spout from up front as much as we want. We want to be a spirit-filled church, but the only time that ever actually happens is when the body of Christ collectively starts to move in that place and say, I'm going to open myself up to the Spirit of God moving through me in power. We start to minister in the Spirit and encourage in the Spirit and speak in the Spirit and sing in the Spirit. And when the church starts to do that, you see how I even switch language there, when the people start to do that, the church becomes a Spirit-filled church, a place where the power of God rests. That's how we would arrive at something like that. So we keep going and we keep exploring what it looks like for us to live increasingly by the Spirit of God, by His power. If you're curious and you're just like, okay, I have no idea what he's talking about or how I would ever grow in that, my encouragement is this. And maybe you don't know how to answer this question, but to think through in your own heart, who do I know in this community that's filled by the Spirit? Who do I see living by the power of the Spirit? And then go to that person and say, I want to take you to coffee. I'm going to bring my journal. I want to ask you a thousand questions. I want to learn what you have. I want to learn how you live. I want to ask you a bunch of questions and find out how do you study the scriptures? How do you open yourself up to the spirit? When you look and you see people, what do you see? I want to learn these things. And we apprentice as people to be filled by the spirit of God. So that's the th second thing. We just want to glean that, that Paul sees that in the Thessalonian church and we want to continue to grow in that. The third thing is that these people are full of faith or faithful. He says in verse 9, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. All right. Uh, if you were to look at Macedonia and Achaia, it's approximately LA-ish to San Diego-ish. And if you were to look at Thessalonica in the first century, population 200,000. Feels pretty much like Thousand Oaks to the rest of Southern California. When you look at what happened in Thessalonica, this is our community. This is our story. These were a people of faith. And Paul was saying, hey, they had so much faith that everywhere I started to go, I would go there and I would have heard from other people about the Thessalonian church because they started to live by faith. And that reputation started to resound throughout the community, throughout the region, and beyond. Now, the point that Paul's making is not the reputation. You don't get a reputation of having faith unless you just live by faith. And I, I'm guessing the Thessalonians weren't like, how far can this message go about how faithful we are? That was not their motivation. But Paul is telling them 
that when you live as a church full of faith, it is noticeable. Things start to change. There's two things that Paul identifies about a full of faith church. The first one is in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, that a church that's full of faith has a love for one another and a love for all. So 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So it's there, and he wants it to increase and abound your love for one another, and your love for all. So the first thing Paul talks about, about a church that's full of faith, is there's going to be something in you that shapes a dynamic love for the body. There's going to be something that's a, a marked difference about us. We're going to start to love people that aren't like us. We're actually going to see uh, the old and the young in church together and being able to embrace the fact that everybody doesn't look like me or like the same things as me or want church to feel the same way that I want it to feel. There is a diversity of age. You're going to start to see the political spectrum represented in the church. People from different ways of thinking of how a nation or a world should be run coming together under the name of Jesus. You'll actually see that start to happen in a church that has love for one another. You'll start to see a diversity of races entering into a place where there's a level of love for one another that goes beyond any kind of skin color that people might carry. And then you can carry that into some of the nuances, multi-ethnic, multilingual. You'll actually start to see a love for one another that the world would look at and say, how is that happening? How is that happening? How do those people connect with each other? We just talked to our friends uh, in Portugal on Friday. We were driving down to Orange County, and uh, our friend Jeff leads a church there. And they have a church of 80 people from 34 different countries. 80 people in Lisbon, Portugal, from 34 different countries. I just thought, dang, that's wild. I asked him how Easter went. And he said, it's great. I mean, they have Ukrainians in their church that celebrate Easter for a week, starting on Easter Sunday and going until the following Sunday. They have people from other parts of Europe and from Africa that celebrate Easter completely differently. And they all came together in this single church that's not that big. Guys, in this room, we have more people than their entire church. And they have 34 countries and cultures and languages represented, and they come together under the name of Jesus, and they're learning how to love one another, and that resounds significant. Our friends in Dubai have a church of about 200, over 60 nations represented. Those are incredible moments of shock and awe love. How does that happen? We're full of faith. We believe God, and it allows us to have a deep kind of love for one another that doesn't exist in other parts of this world. And then what starts to happen is that love spills over into how we view the world. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes Christians can get a little cranky. 
And they start to look at the world and get frustrated that the world is living a certain way. They start to get angry that the world is being godless or broken or immoral or all of these kinds of things. And, and we just we get frustrated with the world. I can't imagine a more frustrating life than to be frustrated with the world for doing all that it knows how to do. It's not our, it's not our place. As believers, that's not the posture. If you're looking for how do I interact with the world that I'm in, the answer is not to be frustrated with the world for being the world. It is to bring light into the darkness. It is to bring hope and significance and substance and meaning to a hurting world. We look on the world as Jesus did with compassion. He loved the world and loves the world. And we go into the world with a different view. Imagine if you could let the frustration melt away and you could talk to somebody with the joy of the Lord on your face and have a real and genuine conversation with them, listening well, loving well, enjoying them well. How much more open might they be to the gospel if that was your posture? That's a church that's full of faith. Is a church that loves one another well and that loves all well. Second thing that Paul talks about is in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.12 and 4.3, he talks about walking in righteousness. The Thessalonians had turned from idols, and in chapter 4, verse 3, they're living in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So something that was profound about the Thessalonian church that people talked about all throughout Macedonia and Achaia is that this was a church that previously worshipped idols and they had laid down their previous life and were now walking in righteousness and choosing to live a different way. And it was noticeable. People were changing. We've talked about this often, that the gospel loves people where they're at and that love doesn't leave people where they're at. It is a transformative love by design. I am being transformed. You are being transformed. I hope if you know Jesus, you would say confidently, I'm different today than I was five years ago. God is at work in me. He's doing something in me. He is refining me through fire, through trial, through joy, through partnership, through community. He is refining me and making me a whole different person. I'm actually becoming more like Jesus. It is transformative by design. And what that will look like is that people will come into the church genuinely one way. And over time, being full of faith, we will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's not uniformity. That's not all looking exactly the same because we have different ages, languages, cultures, people, tribe, tongue, nation. It's represented in heaven. People don't all of a sudden become one tribe, one tongue, one nation in heaven. All of those are represented, yet they all, all represent the image of Christ in eternity. And so we start to become like Jesus by laying down the things of the world and growing in the righteous ways of the kingdom of God. So being a church that's full of faith means that transformation is happening. 
And one of the ways that we'll even know that that's happening is by hearing testimony of transformed lives. And we've heard them, and we will continue to hear them, where people testify to the goodness of God. And that's what was happening in Thessalonica. They had laid down idols and turned to follow the living and true God. And people were hearing about that because idols were kind of a big deal everywhere. People were hearing that's a church that laid down idols. Faith hit them like a Mack truck and they laid down their idols and are growing in the Holy Spirit. And that reputation went all the way to San Diego. People were hearing about this everywhere. Still more. We want to continue to be transformed by the presence of the gospel in our lives. Guys, these are marks of a healthy church. Again, it's not an exhaustive list. It's 1 Thessalonians 1. It's beautiful. It's stuff for us to glean from and grow from and aspire to and be inspired by. It's stuff to shape our thinking about how do I go forward from here. And we let the word of God teach us and show us a better way still. Lord, thank you for bringing us together and for giving us a chance to hear your voice. Lord, I pray as these things sink in that they would be transformative, changing us to be more like you. Lord, we love, we love what you're doing here. We love how you're using this church. Please don't retire us. We want to submit ourselves as a church to even more. Lord, we want to be a, har- a part of the harvest of this beautiful community. We love this city. We want to be a part of the harvest of bringing people to faith in you. We want to be sent into the nations. We want to be a church-planting church. We want to be a spirit-filled church that people look to and say, that's where I can meet Jesus. Lord, we want these things. We want to submit ourselves to you and say, yes, Lord. Here we are. Send us. We're ready. So stir us up, Lord. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen.